You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Psalm 23, and we've kind of been going through that psalm this summer, kind of verse by verse. And again, one of the things that we've really been trying to highlight in this are just a a lot of the difficulties, the obstacles, the struggles, the stresses that we find in there, uh, that those things that we face, uh, as well as God's answer. What is God's response to, you know, our, our weariness, to our busyness, to our damaged emotions? Um, and, and so we've been kind of looking um, at what God's response is to that. And we've looked at, you know, the issues of worry. We've looked at the issues of busyness, of damaged emotions, indecisions, dark valleys. And last week we talked about about, you know, ways that God wants to comfort us. And this morning, I want to look at what is God's answer? What is his response to our enemies? In the earlier part of the 19th century, an American poet whose name was Strickland Gillian, he wrote what is probably known as the shortest poem um, in all of human history. And this poem was simply known by the title, Fleas, and the poem read in full, and here it is, two words, Adam had him. That was it. Adam had him. And what he meant by fleas, that was the name of the poem, what he meant by fleas was enemies, irritants, nuisances, tyrants, and problematic people. Adam had him. And the point he was making was from the very beginning of time, every human being, every family, every city, every state, every nation, and the entire world has had enemies. And with enemies, there always comes a need to how do we respond to those enemies? Now, when I talk about enemies, I'm not just talking and limiting that to people. Now, people can be enemies, but the enemies in our lives, again, they're not just limited to people. Many of us know from our own personal experience, certain animals have the potential to be an enemy. Animals like spiders, poisonous snakes, sharks, lions, and tigers, and bears. Oh my, yeah, okay? Sickness and disease, those can really be thought of and perceived oftentimes as an enemy that's out to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Poverty or lack, sometimes that can become an enemy. Aspects of mother nature have the potential to be an enemy. Things like floods, tornadoes, hurricanes, you know, extreme heat, extreme cold. Those can be enemies at times. Gossip, pride, bitterness, unforgiveness, envy. The Bible talks about those that they can also be a sort of an enemy. So we can have a wide host of enemies that entail more than just people. And again, my point being, Adam had them. He had enemies. David, who wrote Psalm 23, had enemies. David even had enemies within his own immediate family. One of his own sons, Absalom, 
who tried to kill his father and take over his throne as king of Israel. And Absalom was not the only enemy David had. You may remember King Saul was an enemy of David and also sought to have David killed. So David knows from his own experiences what it was to have enemies. And like Adam, like David, like Jesus, like the apostle Paul, we all have enemies that seek to hurt, to kill, or to destroy us. And so it's from these personal experiences as a, as a shepherd, David, who again dealt with many enemies, he writes one of the best well-known Psalms, Psalm 23. And again, we've been looking at that verse by verse. And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 23, verse 5. And this morning, I want you, as we begin to look at this, I want you to notice a dramatic change of scenery is taking place here in verse 5. The psalmist goes from talking about that field that he takes us to, those still quiet waters he leads us to, and he goes from talking about a field to talking about a feast. And here in verse 5, David writes, You, God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And it's interesting that David uses the imagery of a lavish banquet. I want you to see that, that table as kind of a smorgasbord of succulent food. It's a delightfully divine buffet and it's just laid out before David and you get this picture that as David is looking at this table this banquet this buffet that that his enemies are all around him looking upon him as I think about that I wonder why would God do that why would God provide an elaborate feast of exquisite food and drink, all in the very presence of those who are trying to hurt, to harm, or to destroy us. Well, when those enemies are people, it's an opportunity for God to display his goodness towards us as a witness to our enemies of how good God really is. It says to them, if this is how God treats his children, imagine the potential witness that can be towards those who aren't his children. It's as if God is saying to the enemies of David, if you would become my child, I would make the same provisions for you. The blessings that my son David enjoys, they can also be your blessings as well if you would turn and honor and serve me. The Bible says that God is love, that everything that God does is motivated. It's a a witness, it's a testimony, it's a display of his love. The Bible also says that God's desire, his heart, is that no one perish, that all would come to salvation, to repentance, to inherit eternal life. What better way to display his love, his generosity, his goodness, than to allow his enemies to see how good he really is. I think this was part of God's intent with the whole nation of Israel, 
to show the surrounding pagan nations, enemies of Israel, that if you would honor and serve the God of Israel, I will bless you in the same way I have blessed the nation of Israel. When I see other people being blessed by God, it's a witness, it's a reminder, it's a testimony of God's goodness, not just to them, but to all who have put their faith and trust in him. So I think in part when God provides this magnificent banquet in the presence of our enemies, it is there to establish a witness and a testimony of his goodness and also to be an invitation to our enemies, that if you will turn and honor and serve the living God, he will do the same for you. But also within 23, uh, Psalm 23, verse 5, David gives us these beautiful illustrations, these symbols that equip us with three steps that we can take in order to let God respond to our enemies. David says there again, you, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And there we see three symbols that represent how to get freedom, how to get healing, from the hurts that are inflicted or attempted to be inflicted upon us by our enemies. First thing is, is let God deal with your enemies. Whether those are people, nature, whatever those enemies are, let God deal with your enemies. Don't try to do it yourself. Don't try to take revenge. Don't try to get even. Don't try to retaliate. Don't try to respond. Just trust God to respond on your behalf. Trust God to respond and to deal with those who are coming against you. Give it to God. And David makes this incredible observation. Again, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. I want you to know that when the enemy gathers, whenever you see the enemy beginning to come and to gather around you, I want you to begin to look for a provision I want you to begin to look for the table that God is preparing before you in the presence of those enemies. It's there. Oftentimes we get distracted by, we get focused upon the enemy and we're not seeing the provision that God has made. We're not seeing the table that he has prepared before us in the presence of those enemies. So again, it's, it's taking that opportunity to step back, to recognize the presence of those enemies, but to also be looking for that table that has been prepared for you. God has made a provision. That's what the table represents. God has made a provision in the very presence of those things that are seeking to harm or to destroy you. I don't know about you, but if I walked into a place where a banquet table had been prepared, I want to sit down and eat. And in doing that, what I'm saying is, God, I'm going to take advantage of this. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to eat. I'm going to enjoy what you have prepared, and I'm going to let you deal with my enemies. And God says, that's right. You sit you get comfortable, you relax, you enjoy, and I will take care of your enemies. What a deal. 
Now, if you know anything about sheep, you know that they also, too, have their fair share of enemies. Wolves, coyotes, bears, snakes, ticks, just to name a few of the enemies sheep had to deal with. Now, sheep were also known to be very defenseless animals. They can't really defend themselves in any meaningful way from much of anything. They don't have teeth that are very sharp, so it doesn't do them much good to try to bite you. They don't have claws. They can't kick. They can't really run very fast. So they're one of the most defenseless animals there is. And they can't be safe. They can't find safety unless somebody protects them. And that's the job of the shepherd. The job of a good shepherd is he goes and he looks for, he seeks out good land, a mesa, a field of green grass. He's looking for those quiet, still waters. And, and he goes into those places and he also is looking, are there any enemies that need to be driven out? And if there are, the shepherd goes in and he drives out any and all of the enemies. And once the land is cleared of all of the threats, the shepherd then brings the sheep in and he provides for them a safe place to rest and to eat. He scouts out the pasture and he drives out their enemies. This is God's way of saying, I'll handle those. I'll take care of, I'll drive out those who seek to harm you. You sit here at the table I have prepared for you and you enjoy, and you eat, and you rest, I'll take care of your enemies. Romans 12 says this, never pay back evil for evil, never avenge yourself. Leave that to God, for he has said that he will repay those who deserve it. Again, God says, you enjoyed the table I have set before you, and I will drive out the enemy that seeks to harm you. It's letting us know that God knows who our enemies are. God sees the people. God sees the things that are trying to harm us. He sees it all. The Bible says that he cares for us and that he has a plan. And that plan involves you relaxing at the table of provision and that he can and will deal with your enemies. So as that table there is set before us, as the enemy is around us, God's given us a choice. Will you sit at the table or will you try to deal with your enemies? We can't do both. So the first thing is let God take care of your enemies. The second illustration, the next provision in there is let Jesus soothe my wounds. We see that there in that next part of Psalm 23, verse 5, and he says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, oil in, in the scriptures oftentimes represents the Holy Spirit. And one of the most valuable things a shepherd carried with him was oil. And he did that for two reasons. One was, was because it would serve as a repellent, and it would also serve as a medicine. One of the worst enemies of sheep, and I would say of people also, is flies. Sheep hate flies. 
They can't shake the flies off uh, either by their hooves or their tails. And a lot of times they are just tormented by flies. And summertime means fly time for sheep. And one of the reasons sheep hate flies is because they get up into the sheep's nose and they lay eggs. And that larva just begins to drive them crazy. Now, if you've ever been around sheep in summertime, you'll sometimes see a sheep that's kind of banging its head against a wall because it's trying to dislodge uh, the fly, the larva, um, from its nose. He can't do anything about it. Isn't it amazing? It's the little things in life that really can drive you nuts. So what shepherds do is they'll take the oil that they have with it and they'll mix it with sulfur. And they'll kind of begin to anoint the head and, and around the nose of the sheep. And it kind of begins to act like an insect repellent. And it, it drives and it keeps the flies away. And again, this represents the shepherd saying, I'll take care of your irritations. I'll take care of the things that drive you nuts. I'll take care of the things that kind of cause you to want to bang your head against a wall. And the other way that the oil is used again is as a salve, as an ointment. And oftentimes, you know, the sheep would maybe get hurt. Or they would get maybe an open wound. And the sheep would use the oil as an ointment and it would protect them. It, it would cleanse the wound. It would be soothing. It would begin to uh, facilitate healing on the sheep. It would protect them. And when David says, you anoint my head with oil, he's saying, God is gonna soothe your wounds. He's gonna heal your sickness and he's gonna drive out your diseases. This is the same thing that Jesus wants to do for you and I who have been hurt in life. Psalm 147 says this, God heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. So God's saying to you and I, not only will I drive out your enemies, but if you'll come to me, I'll not only drive them out, but I'll do a little bit of repair work. I'll, I'll work on restoring your soul. I can soothe your hurts. I can bandage up your wounds. And once God has dealt with an enemy, while the person or the problem may no longer be actively hurting you, sometimes the mental, the emotional, the spiritual pain remains. Again, God heals the brokenhearted. Oftentimes that's a process. It's not just a one-time done and over deal. Oftentimes it's a process that God leads us through as he's, as he's healing our broken hearts. Do you think about that when you get a small cut? You know, you maybe just need a Band-Aid for that. But oftentimes we know that the deeper that cut goes, the deeper that wound is. Oftentimes, it requires greater measures. The deeper the wound in your life, whether that's divorce, it could be rejection by friends, it could be molestation, it could be the death of a loved one, maybe you've been taken advantage of, maybe someone, a partner, uh, stole your business. Things like that, again, they don't often heal quickly or all at once like deep physical wounds, deep emotional wounds. 
must be bandaged and dressed and maybe stitched. And many times we expect that once an enemy has been dealt with, maybe the enemy has been defeated or the enemy has been driven back. We expect that all would be immediately well. And oftentimes, again, we're not. Often it takes time to heal. There's a process. And the deeper that wound goes, the longer it may take to completely heal. But take heart. God says, when I am your shepherd, I will do the work that only I can do. And I will eventually restore. And I will eventually bring complete healing. So how does Jesus heal the wounds from our enemies? What kind of bandages does Jesus use to heal our emotional, our spiritual, our mental wounds when people hurt or harm us? One way he does that is through fellowship. When you and I gather together with with other believers, whether that's at a Bible study, maybe it's just at coffee, maybe it's down during the Praise Cafe, and we just have that opportunity to share our burdens, to share the things that maybe we're going through, you'll hopefully find a listening ear, a caring heart. You'll find emotional support. You'll find people who are willing to pray for you. And oftentimes, the first thing that we need to do when we've been hurt by somebody is we just need to be able to go and to find someone to share that with a Christian friend. Again, just asking them to pray for you. Again, oftentimes, our first response is to isolate ourselves. And again, we need fellowship. Find people or a group of people who will help bear that burden. So God uses fellowship. The second bandage that God will often use in soothing and healing our wounds is prayer. We just need to tell God oftentimes how we feel. We just need to unload it. What I love about David, and you see this oftentimes throughout many of the Psalms, is David was very honest about his feelings. He was very honest about the things that he was going through. And he oftentimes would let those frustrations out. And he was very, very honest about it. And that's okay. God hears our prayers, no matter how difficult no matter how angry at we may be, how frustrated we may be in those prayers, God hears them and he understands them. Third thing is God uses worship. There's healing power in praise. Oftentimes I'll come into the church service on Sunday morning and maybe I've kind of had a rough week or a rough weekend and there's just something about when that worship music starts and we just start singing and we start lifting up our voices to God. And sometimes I can just feel the heaviness of the week just begin to lift off. There's power in praise. And God can use our worship and God can use his word again to build us up, to heal our broken hearts, to lift those heavy burdens and to bind up our wounds. The fourth thing is God uses ministry. Oftentimes, again, just being prayed for by other people. Oftentimes, if, if God is, is using someone maybe to bring us a, a, an encouraging word, a comforting word, an edifying word, a prophetic word, and God has set up his kingdom to function that way. There are oftentimes where I'll, I'll be with somebody and God will just drop a scripture in my heart. 
And, and I know that that scripture is for that person and I'll share that with them. And it's just amazing how it's a verse they really needed to hear, how it's a verse that they can apply to something that's going on in their lives. So God uses ministry. Now I want you to understand healing occurs in two phases and you know this physically, but it's also applicable emotionally. When you're hurt, surgery, or you break a bone, there are always two phases to healing. The first is what I would call that be still stage. You kind of lay in bed there after the surgery or you're you know, confined to a wheelchair. You just kind of lay there and it's just that opportunity to be still. Allow your body to begin healing. After a while, they'll, you know, cut that cast off or they'll try to kind of get you up out of that bed to begin walking around. And that's the second stage. It's the get moving stage. So there's the be still stage. And then eventually there comes the get moving stage. We know that there are people in hospitals that are trained to do this. We call them physical therapists. And sometimes they'll come in and they'll get you out of that bed. They'll get you to that get moving stage, maybe a little sooner than you want to. And you'll kind of get a little frustrated. You may get kind of a little annoyed at them. You may kind of think, hey, this is a little too soon here. I'm hurting. I need to be still. And they're saying, no, you need to get moving. And I know people in this stage of get moving and they've been in that stage of be still for a long time. And then all of a sudden, God kind of comes to you in that be still stage. And God says, it's time now to get moving. And oftentimes our response to God is, I'm not ready. I, I need to be still. I need to just be here. I just need to, to sit here. I just, I, I, I'm not ready to get up. And we get frustrated and we kind of sometimes get mad and we get impatient with God. God's starting to prod you. He's starting to lead you to that next stage and we're getting angry. And part of that is because he wants us to get up, get moving. It's time to go forward. It's time to start serving others. And we're never going to get the healing we need until we get out there and start helping other people. There's a time for you to be quiet. There's a time for us to be still, to know that he is God. But there are times where people stay in that be still stage for far too long. And God's saying there comes a point where we need to get up, move on, and start focusing on the needs and the hurts of others. And that's where the full healing is going to come. Even after you've been totally healed, you're going to have a scar. There's always going to be scars after you've been hurt. And when you have a scar, you have a choice. Every time you look at the scar, because you're going to see it, every one of us probably here have scars. And you can either look at that scar and remember the hurt, or you can remember the healing. That's your alternative. Look at the scar and think of the hurt or think of the healer. When you remember the defeat, the failure, that divorce, that hurt, you can remember and you can choose to say, I am a trophy of God's grace. 
The third illustration we find in allowing God to deal with our enemies is let Jesus satisfy my needs. My cup overflows. Now in the Bible, an overflowing cup always symbolized total satisfaction. It represented, it stated, I have everything I need. I have more than enough of what I need. Now in the Middle East, it's mostly desert. So when someone that gave you a cup that is overflowing, it means they were willing to waste some. They were willing to give you above and beyond what you needed, whether that was water or wine. And again, you don't waste water, you don't waste wine in the desert unless you've got more than you need. Whatever your need is this morning, I want you to know God has got more than enough to meet that need. When you get hurt, you just need to look to the one who can meet all of your needs. Now, why is that so important that we look to God? Because the alternative is, is oftentimes when we get hurt, we want to look to other people to meet the need that only God can meet. I want you to understand no person can give you absolute security in life. No person can give you all the love you're going to need. No person can make you completely happy. And if you're looking to that, if you're expecting that from another human being, you're going to be bitterly disappointed over and over and over, and you're going to be repeatedly hurt. God never intended for you and I to have all of our needs met by another human being. We have needs that only God can meet. And again, when you expect other people to meet those needs, eventually you're going to become resentful because they can't do it. They can't love you unconditionally 24 hours a day. They can't make you secure 24 hours a day. They can't meet all their needs, all your needs, because they're not God. On the other hand, God can meet all of your needs. Never runs out, never runs dry. God will never declare bankruptcy. He's never in a bad mood. He's never going to let you down. He's never going to turn you away. He's never going to give up on you. If you look to him, the Bible says your cup will overflow. Overflow with what? Three things, with hope. Romans 15, 13 says God will help you overflow with hope. In him, through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Second thing, with love. Your cup is going to overflow with love. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, May the Lord make your love to grow and overflow. Third thing is with joy. Jesus said in John 16.24, Ask using my name and you will receive and your cup of joy will overflow. Let me just close with this interesting observation. Have you ever wondered when you go to somebody's house how long you're supposed to stay or when you're supposed to leave? Have you ever had someone come to your house and you are ready for them to go long before they're ever looking to leave? There was actually a custom in the Middle East that everyone knew had to do with the filling of the cup. 
So if you came into somebody's house, even if you were a total stranger because they had hospitality laws uh, of taking care of strangers. So if you were even a total stranger and you came into somebody's house, the first thing that they would do is to offer you a cup of water or wine. And you would drink that cup and then they would refill it. You would drink that cup and then they would refill it. And you would drink that cup and they would refill it. And as long as the cup was being refilled, it meant you were welcome to stay. If you came to somebody's house and after several refills, they left the cup empty, it meant it was your time to go. It was time to leave. Now, interestingly, if the host decided that he really liked the person and wanted them to stay for an extended period of time, they would take the cup and they would fill it, not only to the rim, but they would allow it to overflow. You don't waste water or wine in the desert. You don't waste water or wine on people you don't want to be with you for an extended period of time. And that's why God always causes our cups to overflow. He never wants us to leave. He never wants us to go. It means we are special. When God says to you, I'm gonna fill your cup to overflowing, it's God's way of saying, I recognize you, I see you, I know you, and I want you to be with me. If you're hurting, if you've got enemies here this morning, again, I wanna just remind you that God says, I have prepared a table, a banquet, a lavish feast for you in the presence of those enemies. And I want you to focus on the feast. I want you to focus on the table. I'll take care of the enemies. And I'll anoint your head with oil. I will soothe you. I will bandage up your wounds. I will heal you. And your cup will overflow. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand this morning. Father, again, we just thank you for, again, this verse of Scripture. And Father, again, we just remember those two words, that poem, Adam had them, Lord, and we've got them as well. Every one of us in this room, Lord, we, we have enemies. Those enemies aren't just people. Those enemies can represent a lot of things in our life this morning. And those enemies oftentimes can come against us and they can wage war against us. They can, they can try to hurt, to harm, to defeat us, to bring us down, to discourage us to steal our hope. And yet, Father, we thank you that in the midst of any and all of those enemies, that your word says you have prepared a table for us. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that that, that table is a table of abundance. It is a table of provision. It is a table of blessing. And that, God, you're choosing to bless us, to provide for us in the presence of those enemies. And, Father, again, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to focus on the feast 
and trust, Father, that you will take care of the enemy. Father, we thank you this morning that you anoint our head with oil. You fill us with your Holy Spirit. You heal the brokenhearted. You bind up our wounds. And Lord, you fill our cup. You fill our lives. You fill our relationship with you to overflowing. And Father, you have overflowed the cup of every person here this morning. And what you're saying to them is, I never want you to leave. I never want you to go away. It's a call to relationship. It's a call to intimacy. And Father, this morning, I just pray that our hearts would be yes and amen. And again, Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you for the promise of your word. And we thank you, God, that you are the presence that goes behind us, alongside us, ahead of us, and all around us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.